there's so many things that we learn from a really young age that tell us, stop listening to what your body's telling you and don't trust it. And we need to get back to a place where we're respecting our body and that we're actually listening to what they're telling us. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. I'm excited for today's episode because it's been one that I've been wanting to do for a long time. Today, we're going to talk about my health journey that I've been on for the past year and a half. When I was postpartum after my third son, Cole, I started to experience this overwhelming fatigue. It's not normally the way that my body feels at all, and it wasn't due to a lack of sleep. I was definitely getting enough sleep. I think the things that I went through are very common for women. I've talked to a lot of other friends that have experienced some of the stuff that I'm going to be talking about. So I wanted to open up about it today and talk about what it looked like. I'm going to talk about what happened, where I am today, and more. But there are a few housekeeping items before we get started. Number one, Today, I have my friend Sammy Gallup, who just so happens to be an incredible dietitian here to make sure that we have a safe and scientific conversation. That said, if hearing about weight gain or weight loss is triggering for you, please just sit this one out and take care of yourself. We are going to be very conscious of the way that we present these topics, but I want you to be aware of your own boundaries and needs. Number two. I gained 15 pounds, but I acknowledge that I still lived in a very privileged body, meaning that I am not discriminated against for my size. I can fit into all the clothes that are in stores, etc. We full well know that we live in a society in which larger bodies are discriminated against. So when we're talking about weight gain, we want you to know that we do understand that. That said, we did want to have a really honest talk about weight gain and how it can impact a person mentally and give you tools to help you work through it. First things first, Sammy, let's have you introduce yourself before we get into some of these important topics. Yes. Thank you, Abby and Amy, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm such a big fan. I listen to all of the podcasts like the second they come out and recommend them to all of my friends and all women. So I'm just really happy to be here. So just to give you a little background about myself, I'm going to first start talking about how I became an anti-diet dietitian. So I started my journey into college, actually going into psychology. I really wanted to work with folks that had eating disorders and be a therapist for them. And then I found out that you had to do your PhD to be a psychologist therapist, right? So I was like, "Mm, I'm probably not going to do that. And then I ended up rowing on the Wisconsin crew team my sophomore year of college, and that is a weight-based team. I ended up seeing a registered dietitian while I was on that team because I was always kind of on the cusp of what my weight should be. And I decided that I really liked what she did, and I really wanted to be a dietitian for sports. So then I changed my major. I really thought that going into dietetics, I would learn all of the secrets with how to look and what to take to lose weight and what the best diet is and all of that. And that (laughs) is not what you learned. Not what I learned. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. It is so much science. It's organic chemistry and physiology and biochemistry. And little did I know that I would have to also do my master's in a dietetic internship. So I probably should have just like stayed the psychology route. But here we are. And here we are as a dietitian. But anyways, I started my journey as a dietitian actually in surgical weight management. So Mm. working with folks that are 
in larger bodies that have severe obesity. And those patients are looking for alternatives to dieting to lose weight. And what I really found over my several years of working with this population is that these patients have such strained relationships with food and with their bodies. So it's made me really, really passionate about raising the next generation without that. And one really common thing that I see with these patients is that they start dieting when they're like eight, nine, 10 years old. And that is just kind of mind blowing to me. I just like want to go back and hug all these people and like give them the nutrition information that they need. So I've kind of started my own little side business to work with moms that have young children to not only help them raise kiddos that have a better relationship with their bodies and nutrition and food and all of that, but we have to start with the mom, right? And with the parents and the messages that those kids are getting from their parents. So long story short, I still do surgical weight management and anti-diet nutrition, which we'll get into a little bit more of with that. But I am also a mom of two kids, Greta, who is almost three, and Remy is almost one, which is wild. And then I have my wonderful husband. He's super supportive, and he travels for work a lot. So I'm solo parenting. So cheers to like all of the parents that are by themselves a lot or single parenting because it is wild. So I'm really here just to talk about, you know, all of the things that we hear from diet culture and diet Mm -hmm. industry and dismantle a lot of that and talk about figuring out how do we really figure out what our bodies need. Yeah. This episode is going to be made to be education through storytelling. So I'm going to tell my story and then Sammy's going to come in and give some of the science behind it, her experience with all of these patients she's worked with. So I think it's going to be really interesting. So let's go back to the beginning of my story. It pretty much exactly coincides with when the pandemic started. Just like so many of you, one minute my life looked one way and the next it looked completely different. I was at a really exciting time in my career. I had just left nursing to pursue entrepreneurship full time. I was actually out in LA for a mastermind when everything started to shut down. So the next thing I knew, I was landing back home in a completely different world. My husband and I were at home with our three kids for two months. And just like many of you, we were trying to work, we were trying to parent, we were trying to navigate through a really uncertain time. And I know for me, I was really stressed. So Sammy and I talked a lot about what we would say here on the interview. And one thing we landed on, we knew we had to bring up was number one, I never stopped exercising. So I think a lot of times in America, you get this rhetoric of you just need to exercise hard and you need to eat right and you'll lose weight or you definitely won't gain it. And so that was not my reality. I'm telling you guys, I never stopped exercising. In fact, I actually increased my exercise because like many of you know, my stress increased in the way that I deal with stress is exercising. So I was exercising more than ever and harder than ever. So my body felt so fatigued. I was constantly a little bit sore and there were other markers that I was looking at. One example is that when I was on my Peloton, I was working so hard. I mean, I'm telling you, there were rides when my lips would like be tingling a little bit but I couldn't even get close to my PRs. In my mind, it didn't make any sense. I'm like, I am working so hard. I'm actually doing this bike more than ever, and I'm getting worse. So I wanted you to break down how our bodies can respond to over-exercising and why that actually isn't always best for us, because I know it was definitely not best for me. Yes. So first, I want to address that you are not alone in that exercise was like your main form Mm -hmm. of coping with the stress and the anxiety that you were experiencing at the start of the pandemic. 
Or some people went the complete opposite route and, you know, just were completely sedentary, right? So seeing a lot of weight gain and just kind of like maladaptive behaviors around coping with stress because we were going through, you know, really collective trauma, right? So I just want to normalize that for you and also talk about, you know, what you were noticing with not reaching your PRs, with getting to a point where you were really fatigued all the time, you were probably really sore all the time. All of those were indicators that your body was trying to tell you that you were doing too much, Mm -hmm. that you weren't resting, that you needed to take a break, but you had all of the stress piled up and you didn't have any other real way to cope with that, right? So no matter what your coping strategy is for stress or anxiety, you can't just have one piece of that, Mm -hmm. right? You have to have multiple coping strategies. So those warning signs that your body were getting- That I just completely ignored. (laughs) That you just completely ignored. They were all signs that your cell structures were actually breaking down, right? So when you're exercising, and you know this, you're physically tearing your muscle fibers apart. If you're not giving yourself the rest and the nutrition that your body needs, they're just going to keep tearing apart. They're never getting time to repair. So having some rest days, not doing high-intensity interval training every day of the week is really important. You have to find some moderation in that and have days where you're doing some lighter exercise and figure out what feels good to you and listen to your body and respond to your body with all of that. Yeah. And I have made a change since that time. Now exercising three days a week, lifting, maybe one cardio yoga, whatever it is, and a lot more walking. And we'll get into more of why this is, but I feel night and day different. I just feel so well. So next on my journey, when I knew I was so fatigued, obviously exercise was part of it, but I was wondering if there was something else going on. So I went to a doctor that specializes in postpartum lab and hormone testing. And like I mentioned before, and Sammy and I talked about it, I had gained 15 pounds, but because I never weigh myself or I barely ever weigh myself at home, I didn't know. I had no idea that I had gained that amount of weight. I have been in a really similar weight range throughout my whole adult life, even after each kid. So right here is a time where I wish that I had been a really good example for all of you guys. And I could say that I wasn't jarred by that number. I had experience, you know, during pregnancy, going up in weight during postpartum, slowly coming back down. Like I had experienced that weight before, but the difference was I always had a reason. So I was really comfortable. Okay, this is a process. Pregnancy is a process. I'm going to gain weight. I have to gain weight for this baby. Postpartum, I was actually very kind to myself. Like this is a process. This can't be rushed. But this was different because this was a peak that had seemingly little to no explanation. And it was just totally a different experience. I had never personally had that experience because I've always had like a very steady range. So here's where I want to kind of talk about weight loss. And I know that you are an anti-diet dietitian. So we're going to try to pull this all together for you guys and understand, okay, my first question is, why can diets actually do opposite of what women or men are hoping that they would do? Really great question. And first, I just have to address that it is okay that you aren't like this picture of how your reaction should have been with weight gain, because I think anybody would have reacted really extremely with any of that. In the conversation, I was like, I wanted to be really honest. I mean, I wouldn't stop talking about it to Abby. Like every walk we went on, I was talking about it. So it was a little bit of a spiral. And so just normalizing like, yes, I wish that I would have been taken it a little better or that it wouldn't have consumed so much of my mind. But that was not the case for me. Right. And that's completely understandable. It doesn't feel good to have this huge change in your body where you are not aware of why it's happening. So it's okay to give yourself space and time to like kind of grieve that process and kind of think to yourself, whoa, 
what went on here? Like, what do I have to do to kind of get back where I want to be? And what have these signals been that have told me that I have experienced this weight gain, right? So as far as why diets don't work. So there are some kind of statistics floating around that 95, 98% of diets fail. And to kind of put that into perspective, if you have 100 people that are on this, you know, diet, that's typically really restrictive when we're looking at fad diets, we will see two of those people, maybe three, maintain the weight that they've lost from that diet past a year. So not very significant there, right? Meaning that all of those other people that went on this diet, they are going to not only probably gain back most of the weight that they lost, but they might even regain more weight than that. And diet industry is really good at not telling you this, right? Because they want you to spend your money on these diets. They want you to lose 10 pounds in 10 days, et cetera, et cetera, right? It's a really powerful message that weight loss is where we want to be with these diets. And so with dieting and what it does to our metabolism is – When we're restricting, when we are telling our bodies they're not going to have – let's use low carbohydrate for Mm -hmm. instance. So when you're going to eat a really low carbohydrate diet, you are purposely depriving your body of those nutrients that you're getting from carbohydrates, one of the main macronutrients, right? So if you've heard macros, protein, fat, carbohydrate. With decreasing or even nearly eliminating carbohydrates from your diet, your body – still really needs those calories from the carbohydrates because we use that as quick energy in our body. Not to mention all of the vitamins and minerals that come from things like fruits and whole grains and starchy vegetables, right? So over time, as you're in this restrictive phase, your body can't really tell that you are purposely restricting versus in a famine, right? So if we're thinking historically, our ancestors went through periods of time where they had really little food and our bodies learned to utilize nutrients in a way that would be supportive of that famine, right? So it would slow down our metabolism. It would store more fat. When we finally do get nutrients, it's going to really use them in a way that's going to be supportive of a slower metabolism. So what we see over time, and there have been lots of studies to show that after a diet or after a time of restriction, your metabolism slows down. And then we have this kind of rebound where you want all of the carbs, right? You kind of throw your hands in the air and you say, I can't do this anymore. I really want to eat the fun things like the cookies and the candy and the fruits and the starchy vegetables, right? So we kind of go in this binge restrict cycle which I know you've had some other people talk about on the Mm -hmm. podcast, and we end up gaining more weight than we lost in the first place. And over time, as you kind of are on this yo-yo and doing all of this weight cycling, which is actually really harmful for your body, you are going to create a higher set point weight than you had in the first place. And it's going to be harder and harder to lose weight as time goes on. Mm, oh, I just love this stuff. It's so interesting and it's so useful to hear the reason why that's not probably going to work long term. Well, and if we think about my patients, for example, you know, my patients that live in these bodies that have severe obesity, they've been on like hundreds of diets yeah. over their life, right? And I just wonder like how much of that their weight and why they are coming to me for the surgery is because they've been on all these diets, right? We know that our weight is caused by a lot of other things that aren't in our control, right? So I have to throw that out there because I think we need to recognize that we really have very little or minimal control on what the scale says. Our weight is determined by our genetics, how we were brought up, our environment, our sex, our height, our age. There's so much more that goes Mm -hmm. into it than just what we're eating and how we're working out. And I think we just get in our head because of diet culture that we are in full control. And if we don't look a certain way that society tells us we should look, that we are doing a bad job, 
Right. Yeah, that's a really important point because when I scroll on Instagram, it essentially feels like they're telling me if I just exercise in a certain way and if I just eat in this very certain way that I can lose weight. A quick break from our sponsor, Rothy's. Did you guys know that Rothy's won People Magazine's Best Flat in their first ever style awards? The Point and The Flat are both bestsellers, which a lot of you know about, but do you also know they have comfortable sneakers, loafers, ankle boots, and more? You know that I'm obsessed with my Chelsea boot and fawn, and I will be bringing those back out this fall. My favorite thing about Rothy's is the comfort. Right out of the box, they are comfortable, they are durable, and they're washable. So you can wash your Rothy's and keep them looking brand new. The exciting thing is, is that they have so many styles that you will find the one that is perfect for you. You can step up your shoe and accessory game this fall by going to rothys.com backslash herself. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S.com slash herself for $20 off your first purchase. I cannot wait to see what you guys pick out. Now back to our episode. So let's shift into something that just parallels perfectly with this. So at the time, I really wanted to assess my diet. And it wasn't because I wanted to go on a diet, but I just felt like I don't know if I'm giving my body what it needs. And I'm not even doing this on purpose. So for me, I've never had a complicated relationship or history with food. So I felt very safe tracking my diet for a couple days. I also know one thing that I am not very good at is getting a lot of variety in my diet. I'm sure like a lot of the listeners, I'm a very busy person. And so I tend to grab what I know is easy, what I know I can get in. So I knew that if I tracked a couple days, it was actually going to be a really accurate picture of what I was putting in my body. So I was DMing with Sammy. I gave her an overview of what I was seeing from the tracking. And I also had another friend in the same industry that took a look. And both came back with the same feedback. They said, you need to eat more, especially in the morning and especially at lunch. They said, you're very low in your protein and your carbohydrates, especially for your activity level, and you're very high in fat. And at this point, I'm still 15 pounds up and these people are telling me to eat more, (laughs) but they're also telling me to eat a little bit differently. So I want to talk about why it's important to eat balanced meals and how actually a lot of our listeners might be undernourished, even though they think that the answer is taking out more. Yes, this is such a hard concept to grasp for a lot of people because it's so often with so many of my clients and my patients, it's just like they eat so little throughout the day because they're just keeping their head down, they're working, they're busy, they're momming, you know, there's so much going on in your day that you simply, like some people just forget to eat or you're relying a lot on convenience foods that aren't super nourishing to a point where you are feeling satisfied for a long period of time, right? I know for you, Amy, you were eating like a breakfast burrito. Every day. Every day. And you still do, (laughs) which maybe we can talk about later. But, you know, with that, I mean, it's like what, 200 calories? And it's like 320. Okay. 340. So not bad, right? And I think those are pretty balanced. But when we think about how much energy we use throughout the day, we're going to use that energy all day long, right? It's not just at the end of the day when we have our biggest meal. In fact, when we have our biggest meal at night, we're probably storing a lot of that away, especially if we're under eating during the rest of the day because we're not using that energy at night. We're usually like sitting on the couch or resting or going to bed, right? So as far as eating balanced goes, what's really important to look at is getting in enough satisfying nutrition every few hours throughout the day. So every two to four hours, what you want to do is have a protein food and a carbohydrate food. 
So protein foods would be like your meats, dairy products, eggs, nuts, nut butters, seeds, lentils, beans, things like that. Protein's going to help really fill you up and keep you satisfied for a longer period of time because it helps your body to slow down its digestive process and actually requires a little bit of energy to digest protein and absorb it. And the carbohydrates are there to give us that more quick energy. So when I talk about carbohydrates, there are different kinds of carbohydrates, right? We have the complex carbohydrates, which have more fiber, have more micronutrients like vitamins and minerals and plant nutrients. And then we have the simple carbohydrates. So more often than not, we want to choose the carbohydrates that are higher in fiber. That's going to help, again, slow digestion. We're going to stay fuller for longer. We're going to have a much healthier gut in that instance. And then the simple carbohydrates are absolutely not off limits. You want to add those things in because those are the fun foods, right? Mm -hmm. The foods that taste really good. They're really satisfying at more of an emotional level. They are going to be quick energy, but pair them with something that is a protein and a carbohydrate. And if you're eating every three to four hours, you're going to keep your blood sugars in this kind of nice steady wave throughout the day instead of having the little blips throughout the day where you're having really small meals or snacks or things that aren't quite satisfying enough to you. And then these big spikes and drops in your blood sugar, which are going to cause you to feel extreme hunger and extreme fullness. And that just doesn't put your energy at a place where it's really usable. Your body's using its energy to digest instead. It's really interesting because what you hear online a lot, and I say Instagram because that's where I'm getting it, but you hear so much about caloric deficit, meaning that you have to take in less calories than you're using. And like that's the only way to lose weight, to lose fat. So I started out 15 pounds heavier than my normal range, and now I'm 11 pounds down, but I didn't use caloric deficit. I also knew from my training, my degrees in exercise science, from following people like you, I knew that I couldn't rush this process. If it was going to be sustainable and lifestyle, it couldn't also be fast. That was not easy but I knew it was true. I had a friend that was losing weight so fast right alongside of me, and it was really hard to stay in my lane and on my course. But I did it because I really thought, you know what? I want this to be the best decision for my body. I want to nourish my body. I want to feel more myself. So the most important thing is that when I'm sitting here today, it is a night and day difference. I can't even tell you the way I was feeling before was like at 6 p.m. when it was my time to mother, I felt like down to my bone marrow was tired. I couldn't even act myself. I was just like in my brain, I was like, I just want to go to sleep. That's how tired I was. And so now I am feeling just completely better. A quick break from our sponsor, Third Love. What we love about Third Love is their clothes are designed to fit your body. They have over 60 plus sizes, including half cups, so that you can always look and feel your best. Better yet, they have a style quiz that will help you find your perfect style for your body, the body that you have today. We're talking a lot in this episode about looking and feeling your best. And in my journey, I wish that I would have just gotten clothes that really fit my body at the time. They have active wear, they have sleep and lounge wear, and we love it all. One of my absolute favorite collections is the Wonder Knit collection. The pajama shorts along with the Henley are the perfect comfy transitional outfit for your sleep. I'm telling you, you're going to want to feel this. So you can go to thirdlove.com backslash herself to get 20% off your first order. Again, that's thirdlove.com herself. And now we'll get back to our show. So I want to talk about a couple things because what I did on my journey is opposite of what you hear. I started eating more <laughs> and I started exercising less mm -hmm. and the weight loss followed that. So 
one thing that I did is when you and my other friend told me the changes, I applied them. So I felt like I started to really fuel my body in the way that it needed to. And for me, and it might be different for everyone, it probably is different for everyone. That was the idea that I needed more protein and more carbohydrates and less fat. So that was the first piece of my puzzle. It was not eating less for me. This is what I want you to explain. So what you were experiencing with that like extreme caloric deficit that you were having before when you gained all of this weight, your body was in this like high stress, like fight or flight, right? Because we had the pandemic, you were working out all the time, you weren't eating enough. And that's why you gained the weight. We were kind of talking about that being in starvation mode or kind of your body experiencing a famine. Well, that's what was going on. And your body was like, oh, I got to hold on to whatever I can get, right? And it wasn't using calories or how we get energy in our bodies, right, from food as something to like rebuild your muscles, rebuild your cells, you know, work on digestion and all of that. It was telling you, you need to like rest and slow down and eat more, (laughs) right? So what we were seeing when you were actually eating more, you were giving your body literally more energy, right? And you experienced the like kind of rebound from that. And your body was able to say like, oh, I have food now. We're okay. I have energy. I can use this energy properly and efficiently and not hang on to it in case of the next quote unquote famine or period of stress. As Sammy said before too, just openly, I was very much eating convenience foods, healthy quote unquote convenience foods, but I really wasn't giving myself fruits and like all of this goodness. And when I had labs taken, I was so low on every single thing. All of the vitamins that we need in our bodies, I was depleted in. So eating that way for a good amount of time definitely caught up with me. Well, and if we're just thinking about metabolically what's going on with all of those vitamins, our vitamins are used to create energy that our body can use from our food, right? So when you're in this extreme state of stress and malnourishment, your body is going to be depleted of all those vitamins because you're not getting it enough food. You're not giving it enough energy. It's using everything that it's got because it's just like, oh, I got to hang on to all of this. So wild because I also wasn't even trying to deprive myself. I was just like living. (laughs) And then number two, and I mentioned this before, the second time I kind of saw movement was when I started exercising less. So I truly was exercising five or six days a week. And now I scaled back to three or four. Working out and working out hard is the message that we get when we go on the internet. But I had to realize I need a couple more tools in my toolbox to deal with the stress. Mm -hmm. Sometimes my body is telling me I need to just go on a walk today. Mm -hmm. And like where I am today is I actually listen. So I know both of us, Abby, we were competitive athletes. So we got taught in a certain way. I was a cross country runner. Mm -hmm. You think I haven't run through some serious pain for the goodness of trying to win that race? I absolutely have. So I wanted you to touch on this of like, okay, how do we figure out how to give our bodies the movement that we need without going overboard? So first, I actually kind of want to go back and talk about nourishing your body with movement because when we're doing moderate or high-intensity workouts, we need to also refuel our body. And I know when we are caregivers and like just trying to fit in 20 minutes here and there and giving it everything we got, the last thing that we want to do is fuel our bodies. So just a little plug, within an hour of working out, you want to nourish your body with a two to one ratio of carbohydrates to protein. So that would look like a peanut butter sandwich on whole wheat bread or a couple 
string cheese and a piece of fruit, right? So things that are easy grab and go that are going to be nourishing and are going to rebuild your muscles and help give you those glycogen stores for the next time that you exercise. So as a personal trainer, as a collegiate athlete, I really get the working out really hard for like two hours a day, sometimes two practices a day. It was a lot. And to come back from that and not be a collegiate athlete anymore, got to like change some things to have more sustainability, right? Because who has two hours in a day to work out? And I know after I was a collegiate athlete and a personal trainer, I was still teaching group fitness classes. I was still sometimes working out twice a day because I was still in pursuit of like what that ideal body type looked like and what society told us that our body should look like. And I really had to have like a come to Jesus with myself and just talk myself into what is enough for my body, right? What counts, quote unquote, as exercise, right? Because I think we get this idea in our head is that it doesn't count if we're not sweating like crazy, if it's not exactly 30 minutes or an hour, if we're not going to the gym and like doing this prescription, right? If our iWatch isn't telling us that it's good enough. Right. We're so reliant. And this goes for diet too. We're so reliant on external sources to tell us what we should be doing, why we should be doing it, how we should be doing it. And we're not in tune with what actually our body needs. And that's going to lead to what we experienced as college athletes. And when you were under eating and over exercising, that fatigue, that burnout physically in your body and injuries eventually and running through the pain, right? I've suffered you know, cracked ribs and stress fractures in my feet. And I still have knee pain from doing half marathons after I was a collegiate athlete. So there's just so much there that is telling us do all of this. And we are never tuning into what our bodies actually need. So what I do with my clients is look at movement that they really enjoy. So is it hiking? Is it going for a walk? Is it going to the dog park? You know, what are the things that you really like doing? And how can we mix it up and have a variety of things that you enjoy doing? So it's not the same thing every day, because that's not ever giving our muscles a break. We need to mix it up with the high, moderate and low intensity exercises. And then Don't give yourself a prescription of what this is going to look like each day or each week ahead of time. Ask yourself that day or even in that moment, what does my body need right now? Is it a snack? Is it something to eat? Or is it going for a walk outside? I think another thing that can be really valuable with monitoring how your body is responding to exercise is what happens when you don't exercise right? So I know for me, what I get out of exercise is more focus. I get more stress management. I sleep better. I have less restless legs. Like there's so many more benefits that I get from exercise that when I don't exercise for a few days, I really miss that. And that kind of intrinsic motivation is what really helps me get to a place where exercise is something I do for self-care and not something I do because someone told me I had to do it. Yeah. Or like punishment or I have to exercise today because I ate a lot over the weekend or whatever it is. So something that you and I discussed when we were talking about this episode is the idea of really respecting your body. So when I was in the throes of this process and I was 15 pounds more than quote unquote normal, I knew still that nothing good was going to come out of me being mean to myself, me shaming myself. So I really chose kindness. I knew that I was not going to get anywhere faster being really mean to my body. So here's what it sounded like for me. I think everyone has to make it their own, whatever speaks to you. I would say things like, Amy, you are much more than a number on a scale. So you are worthy of your own respect. I would say things like, Amy, we have to start to get in tune with our body again. What is it saying today? 
So Sammy, can you talk about this piece of the puzzle and how you work with your clients to really aim to start to respect their body, even if their body is different than it used to be? How do you work through this with people that are really struggling with body image? So we can kind of look at body image as a spectrum, right? We have on the low end of body image, body hatred, really disliking our bodies, not wanting our bodies, wanting them to be something completely different than they are. And then we have body liberation where we just feel free in our bodies and we're at this place where, you know, our bodies don't bother us. We're not fixated on it. We're just respecting our bodies in a way that is supportive on our own, right? And I really like how you said, you know, you weren't shaming yourself. You weren't feeling guilty about where you were at. You were really kind to yourself. And I think that's the only way we can really learn, right? You kind of took this and ran with it, Amy. I really want to say, too, that, like, I don't think your journey was about the weight loss. Like, if you felt like you still had more energy and you learned how to exercise in a way that was kind to your body, had you not lost the weight, would you still be doing those things? Probably. Right? Well, yeah, but I did like, <laughs> I did, I mean, I just to be really honest, yeah. I did appreciate that it paired well. Yes. Yes. And it can, and yeah. it will sometimes, but it kind of depends on where you're coming from because you weren't in this place of extreme dieting or anything like that. Your metabolism was where it needed to be. And it was just going through this kind of little blip in time where you were really stressed out and had a lot going on. So I just have to say that to get that out there that, you know, we want to focus not so much on the scale because that is disrespectful Mm -hmm. of our body. We can't control what the scale says. What we can control to an extent coming from a place of privilege is these other factors that promote our health, Mm -hmm. right? Not smoking, eating balanced throughout the day, throughout the week, moving our bodies in a way that feels good, managing our stress, managing our sleep. So those are all of the things that I look at with my clients is what are these things that are in our control? These things will help us feel better if we're improving on them. And it's not about the weight. So that's why I kind of like to say that like, Mm -hmm. it's not about the number on the scale as far as goals go. It is about these other things that we can do that we actually know improve your health. We're not sure that weight loss doesn't. It's going to follow. Right. So it was really interesting because in my journey, it was often on my mind so much in the beginning. And so I felt I had gotten a taste of when people say they think about their body so much during the day, I got a taste of that. That's not where I am anymore. But I was like, it was almost good for me to understand because I think a lot of times like body positivity we can be kind of flippant. Mm -hmm. We can be like, you know, you should be grateful, this, that. It's like, it's a process. And like you said, it's like a continuum. And so I swung to the right. And now I'm really glad that I was able to come back more to my normal. But just to speak, we totally understand that it can be really challenging. Right. It is hard work. And especially when we have all of these things on the outside telling us, otherwise, right? That we should be focusing on our weight. We should be focusing on what our body looks like. So that first step, like moving on from body hatred is body respect. And what that looks like is eating, responding to your body's signals, right? So we we talked a little bit about, you know, responding to our hunger and our fullness and looking at all these other things that might cause us to eat that don't include hunger, right? So are we eating for emotional reasons? Are we using food in a really habitual way, you know, where it's also not supportive of a healthy lifestyle? So all of these other pieces of the puzzle can really help you to form this respect for your body that you're giving it what it needs at the present time Mm -hmm. where it is today and not what you want your body to look like in a month or in a year or what have you. So that respect really comes down to what is your body asking you for today at this moment and not what do you wish your body would be. 
and kind of going towards more of like, how can we be a little more satisfied with our body is and accept where our body is at, right? One thing I wanted, you kind of mentioned it, but I did want to dive deeper is that I know that you're big on the hunger fullness scale on your Instagram account. You covered it in great detail. So I would love if you expanded on this. And I've told you this, one of my challenges is in the very beginning there, I felt like my body's signals were a lot weaker. Mm -hmm. Like it was, yes, I ignored her for too long. I fully own that. But then when I was trying to listen, the signals were weaker. So if someone is there, talk a little bit about the hunger fullness scale and how that could help. Yeah. Are your signals back now? Oh my gosh. I told Abby, my favorite (laughs) thing about my life is that I feel hungry again. And I feel like I am someone that loves food so much. Mm -hmm. And part of my enjoyment is feeling hungry for it. Yeah. Yes. So this is also not a thing where you're like either hungry or full, right? It is this big scale that goes from, you know, some scales go from zero to 10. So I'll explain that. And when we're in the kind of danger zone from a zero to two, we're feeling really hungry. There are a lot of reasons that we get to that point where we're feeling really hungry, right? If we're not fueling our body enough, if we're going too long between meals and snacks, if we're on a diet that's restrictive, we feel those feelings of hunger and all of our bodies like energy is going to be pointed towards getting food as soon as possible, getting food that's high in calories, that's high in fat, that's high in sugar, that's really satisfying. And then we end up kind of swinging to the misery zone, which is the eight, nine, 10, where we're feeling really overly full, right? And then our energy is all like, oh, we need to digest, we need to rest, we need to process all of this. So if you're on either end of this hunger scale and kind of pendulating back and forth, you are never going to be in this middle range. Your blood sugars are going to be all over the place. You're not going to be supporting your body's energy in the best way, right? With you, Amy, when you were eating really not enough, when you were really stressed out, you kind of spent some time ignoring your hunger signals, eventually they do go away because your body is just kind of trying to protect itself from that feeling of hunger and from that kind of fight or flight mode. So that happens often, especially when people are not eating breakfast, right? So if you go a long period of time without eating breakfast, eventually you don't feel hungry for breakfast. And then it's really hard to get people back in this phase where they are eating breakfast because it is important to eat within an hour of waking up. But as time goes on and you start eating more, you start stimulating your appetite a little bit more, you will get those hunger signals back like you recognized. So our goal is to stay in that comfort zone where we're a little bit hungry. You know, we can still make decisions about our food and what we're eating. We can eat slowly and really enjoy our food and then get to a point where we're feeling satisfied from our food or full, but not overly full. And I think there's so many things that cause us to not listen to our body signals. Number one, I would say is dieting. But if you grew up in a household where you had some food insecurity and food was really scarce, you might always kind of be going between this hunger and fullness, you know, where it's really extreme. Or you might have a really strained relationship with food in that whenever food is available, you eat it until it's gone. Or maybe you grew up in the household that made you clean your plate, right? So there's so many things that we learn from a really young age that tell us, stop listening to what your body's telling you and don't trust it. And we need to get back to a place where we're respecting our body and that we're actually listening to what they're telling us. And sometimes the fuel I was choosing was, you know, two cups of coffee with a lot of creamer. And I think that was enough to kind of diminish my hunger signal there in the afternoon. But it was comfort for me to have a warm cup of coffee in a stressful environment. And I just loved it. But if I could go back, would I have given myself a little bit better fuel or more fuel? Yes. Okay. So 
I want to end. I know that's something that we've been talking about behind the scenes is that we really wish that women got better information when they are on a journey with their own bodies. Even a lot of the stuff that you said, I'm like, oh, my favorite Instagrammer that is more of like a body person has the opposite advice. And that's what sucks to be a woman is we feel like, at least I do, I feel like I'm getting different information from different people, but you guys are all quote unquote experts. Mm -hmm. And so it gets really confusing to be the average woman. Like I have an exercise science degree. I have all of this background in exercise. And even I sometimes feel like, okay, wait, am I only supposed to have a half cup of fruit because this person's (laughs) telling me, you know, it is, it's just hard. So I want you to end with something that you want every woman to know about being on a journey with her own body. So I think our collective goal as women and as mothers, who are most of your listeners, right, is that we want to raise confident kids. Mm -hmm. And having these issues with our body, not respecting our body, wanting our bodies to be smaller, doesn't breed confidence, right? And our kids absorb that. Mm -hmm. If we can get to a place where we aren't so reliant on all these external sources telling us what to eat, how to eat, how to look, why to do this, this, and that, and start getting more in tune with what our inner selves are telling us, because our bodies are actually really good at telling us these things if we listen, we will be able to raise the next generation without all of these influences that are so negative that are breaking down what we know to be true. Your body is the only body that you have to live in. And so we need to learn how to respect it and how to be kind to it today instead of something that we wish that it was in the future. Yeah. I hope that people can just take these messages, whichever one spoke to you and just plug it in to be like, you know what, today I'm listening to my body. So Sammy, you have to let everyone know where they can find more of you. Yes. So I am most active on my Instagram at anti.diet.mama. And I have a website, antidietmama.com. Okay, perfect. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us in whatever app that you listen on. That helps us get out to more people to spread messages like this.